What's up, everybody? How's it going? This is Noah Alvarez, and you are listening to the My Mike and I podcast. want to thank Generic Sports for producing the instrumental playing in the background. You can check out more of his work on SoundCloud.com slash Generic Sports. Also, follow him on Twitter and Instagram. Search Generic Sports. Also, shout out to my homie Vince Correa. He helped design the My Mike and I logo that you are seeing on your screen. We're also going to plan on making a new My Mike and I logo too in the near future, so be sure to stay tuned for that. Thanks again to Vince and Generic Sports for helping out with the podcast. You can listen to My Mike and I not only on Apple and Spotify, but you can listen to it on SoundCloud, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play, (laughs) and TuneIn app, as well as a few other different platforms. Uh, Be sure to subscribe to us, follow us, share us with your friends, leave a rating and review. It would really greatly appreciate it if you guys could. Now, as I mentioned in the previous two shows, it's October. October is the best month of the year because of all the sports that are going on. And right now we're in the thick of the World Series. The Washington Nationals have surprised really pretty much everyone in baseball by going up 2-0 in this World Series over the Houston Astros. The Astros are not only my favorite team to pick uh, to win the World Series at the beginning of this postseason, but probably at the beginning of the preseason too, in the beginning of the season back in April march i really like that the astros roster up and down but the nationals thanks to you know a lot of great play from their young players like juan soto but the nationals probably have the most oh my god those guys are still in the league kind of players like howie kendrick gerardo para as Drupal cabrera kurt suzuki who had a home run uh shout out to cal state fullerton sure this nationals team may be a little lucky but they are proving the ewing three true at least thus far now that they have dumped Bryce Harper this past offseason, he chose to sign with the Philadelphia Phillies. Got a huge payday. Now the Nationals are balling out, unlike no other. And like I said, they're getting a lot of contributions from a lot of different players that a lot of, if you're a baseball fan, you didn't, you know, think these guys were either that good or still able to contribute at a high level. So props to the Nationals. Like I said, they're up two to nothing in their series. Uh, the, The series now goes back to Washington too. So they have a good chance to sweep after they won both those games in Houston in the first two of those series. Going over to the NFL, big game this weekend between the 49ers and the Carolina Panthers this weekend. 49ers, the remaining undefeated team in the, uh, in the NFC. Panthers are my team. They're on a four-game win streak since Cam Newton went out with the injury. Kyle Allen's going to be starting again. It's going to be a battle of defenses. I'm predicting a low-scoring game. I think first one to 13 points wins. We'll probably see maybe like two combined touchdowns. And we're going to see a lot of running the ball and a lot of defense to get prepared for that one. That should be an exciting one. Also, Saturday, college football, a few exciting matches this weekend too. I think none bigger than a top 10 matchup between the Auburn Tigers and the LSU Tigers. LSU has a big matchup with Alabama in a few weeks. Can't be caught looking ahead though, and let's see if Auburn can maybe play spoiler and maybe ruin that matchup, a potential number one versus number two matchup that we could see on November 9th between Alabama and LSU. Now let's get ahead into the listener mailbag questions of the week. Thanks to all those who answered and asked me questions. This week I posted them on my personal Instagram at noha underscore Alvarez and also the my Mike and my, my Mike and I page Instagram my period Mike and period I uh, I did not post them on Twitter but follow me on Twitter because sometimes I do post those questions on Twitter at underscore Noah Alvarez 
so yeah if you follow me on any of those three platforms we do ask weekly questions and if you're a listener of this podcast and want to get interacted with the show feel free to ask or answer those questions when i present that opportunity so because i have rj on this week's episode to talk about the nba the question i asked on the instagram pages Send me your NBA questions and I'll answer them on the show. So all these questions are NBA related. Thanks again to all those who asked questions. Let's get right into it. First question, this was asked to the Mike and I page. Not really a question, but Max, he's been on the show a few times. He said, put that down, son. I'll cross you anytime. I had a picture of a basketball in the picture. Max, if you want to go one-on-one, just say when and I'll take your money. (laughs) All right. This next question is from Jay Franco. He asks, can you justify Jalen Brown's massive contract? Jalen Brown, guard for the Boston Celtics. Ah, he just signed a four-year, $115 million contract. And to me, that was a really bad move by Danny Ainge and the Boston Celtics. Even though I'm a Celtics fan and I got to ride by my team, uh, I, I, can't, I can't justify it. I mean, you look at the players that are also making similar quantities of money in the, in the next few years to what Jalen Brown got on a yearly average. There's players like LaMarcus Aldridge, there's players like Buddy Heald, like players like Draymond Green, Victor Oladipo, Malcolm Brogdon. I mean, all these guys, they're, they're all producing a little bit at a higher rate than Jalen Brown has done so in his in his career. He's only, he's averaging 11 points per game. And now I know he plays with the, you know, he played with Kyrie Irving last year. He played with Isaiah Thomas another year. So he's always been, you know, the, the third or fourth option on the team, which doesn't make sense to me to pay a guy that much. I get it that he's talented. I get it that he's very athletic. I hope that, you know, the Boston Celtics are able to use him as a trade asset and trade for another big man and, and, and they're able to ship that bad contract away. Because I think in two, three years down the road, maybe even sooner, that's going to look really bad for Danny Ainge and the Boston Celtics signing Brown to that extension. Next question from Fades of Glory on Instagram, also known as Waffles, one of the best barbers in Orange County. He says, why are you a Celtics fan? LMAO. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I don't think I've told this story to many people, but growing up, I was a Lakers fan because my dad was a big Lakers fan. Kobe and Shaq were running the you know, Los Angeles sports scene here in Southern California. And I'm not going to lie, I was a huge fan of Derek Fisher. And he made that 4.4 second shot against the San Antonio Spurs in 2004. Man, that even you know confirmed my uh, my admiration for a guy like Derek Fisher. Quiet role player, doesn't you know steal too much of the spotlight. Does what you ask, plays really good defense. So I, I always really loved Derek Fisher. But when Kobe and Shaq broke up, a lot of those good role players left, and I instantly put the blame on Kobe. And so when Derek Fisher and Shaq and all those guys left, I was like, all right, well now I want to hate the Lakers. And who are the Lakers' biggest rival? The Boston Celtics. And at the time. Boston Celtics only had Paul Pierce. They had Anton Walker, too, who was at the end of his career. And they're making playoffs rounds, but they weren't doing too well. But I remember really liking Paul Pierce. And I remember my dad would tell me, you know, he came from Inglewood, which isn't too far from where we grew, we grew up or where I grew up in uh, Orange County. And so, yeah, I like supporting the local L.A. kids. Paul Pierce, you know, was doing a lot of good things. And then eventually the Celtics were able to make the moves for KG and Ray Allen, brought a championship to Boston. And, you know, that that's really goes behind the story of why I'm a Celtics fan huge Paul Pierce fan and when Kobe you know when things hit the ceiling with Kobe and Shaq and and everyone else went out the door for the Lakers that's when I made the transition so good question waffles and yes that's why I'm a Celtics fan on Instagram they go by the name of young flex zero 
Joseph, he asked, what is your playoff picture looking like? Uh, a little early because it's only a, we're about one game in for most teams. But for the Eastern Conference, I'll give you my top eight teams. I, I think at the top, it's going to be Sixers, Boston, and Milwaukee. Then right on below in that second tier in that four and five seed, it's probably going to be Miami and Brooklyn. I think maybe Miami edges out Brooklyn for the four seed. Brooklyn ended up getting the five. I think Indiana has a really good shot of getting the six seed. And then that leaves a few teams left fighting over for the seven and eight. I, Orlando made it last year, and I got to you know put them in because I like their young core. And then, of course, don't forget about Toronto. Do not forget about Toronto, even though they lost Kawhi Leonard. Uh, you know, unless some injuries happen to them, I think they're still a good playoff team. So I think Toronto can very possibly win that six or seven seed. And then be wary of the Bulls. Be wary of the Raptors. I think those teams are going to be much improved. The Pistons made the playoffs last year, too. So I think they're a team that's going to be fighting for that eight seed. But the Eastern Conference a little weaker. Let's go ahead and move over to that Western Conference, which gets a little tougher. At the top of the Western Conference, I really like the Nuggets. I really like the Lakers and the Clippers. Put them in whatever order. I like the Trailblazers, too. That's going to be a very dangerous four seed, I think. Then you go with Utah. Utah and Portland are probably interchangeable. I like the additions they got uh, with Mike Conley and Bogdanovich this offseason. Take some of the pressure off of Donovan Mitchell. And then you have Golden State, Houston. And for my eighth team, it's pretty much a toss-up. Pick whoever you want between the Kings, the Spurs, the Mavericks. Heck, even the Minnesota Timberwolves might be in the, in the mix for that. Uh, right now, I, I got to lean towards the Spurs just because they have the coach. They have the most experienced coach in Greg Popovich. But I really like the Kings, too. I think the addition of Luke Walton to that head coaching staff, man, that's just going to be – I hope he could take De'Aaron Fox to a next level. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it's going to be an interesting race in the Western Conference just because there is so many top teams. Don't count out Golden State, too, because a lot of people are counting them out with that injury. But good question, Joseph. Next question from Chris No Zero on Instagram. He asked, "Will the Lakers make a trade before the deadline if they are under 500?" You know, the tra the Lakers don't really have too many trade assets after the trade of Anthony uh, for Anthony Davis this past offseason. So I don't really see who they could give up for some top players. I think they'll be in the buyout market if they're under 500. Well, first, if they're under 500 at the All Star break, I think they fire Frank Vogel either at the all-star break or before the all-star break and then yeah i think they're going to be in the buyout market try and get maybe some veterans we'll see how the situation gets handled with eagle dollar and memphis but also the memphis grizzlies also have a guy like jay crowder who could be a, a quality three and d wing for the lakers and there's a few other players around the league that i think they can be in the buyout market for just not sure how much they have as far as going for trading Corey lloyd 21 on instagram asks What's your opinion on Taco Fall on the Boston Celtics? Taco Fall, 7-6 out of the University of Central Florida. You know, a lot of people like the pickup. He wasn't even drafted. He was an undrafted uh, free agent pickup for the Celtics. And he, he, he shined in some moments. He averaged, uh, what was it, seven points a game during the summer league. And even in the preseason, he did really well, too, averaging four points a game. He's so tall. It's, you know, a guy like that always sticks out. And he's on a team like the Celtics, we talk about in the show with RJ. They don't have a lot of depth at the center position. So if Fall can really maybe get his strength up, get his conditioning up, and provide a good solid 10 to 15 minutes off the bench, I think he's starting in the D-League affiliate for, um, or actually they call it the G-League now, the G-League affiliate for the Celtics. They signed a, to a two-way contract. I think he could provide some solid minutes playing maybe 30 games for them. I think the only thing with him is 
you know, you can't play man-to-man defense with him because he is a little bit not as mobile as compared to some of the other bigs in the, around the NBA, especially when he gets switched out to one of those quicker guards like a Lowry, like a Kyrie. I mean, he's going to get toasted. So, you know, Brad Stevens has played zone a lot in his defensive base sets. So definitely with fall on the floor, they're going to have to switch that 3-2 uh, defense or 2-3 defense and play and keep him in the middle. You don't want him floating around the arc and take him away. But yeah, with that length, I think he can really be a factor, you know, on the boards and on defensive end, just maybe not his first year. And last question of this week, Griffey Graham, 47 on Instagram. Griffin, shout out to him. Do you think small market teams like Sacramento can ever win a championship in the NBA? Now, if you're talking about Sacramento specifically, I'm not sure just because they haven't been able to have the guys the right guys in the front office when you look at other small market teams in the nba though it's been done before you look at utah they have a couple championships you look at you look at san antonio they have the most championships for any small market team milwaukee also has one championship too from back in the day and oklahoma city you can say memphis even got pretty close too and there's a few other teams that really struggle portland charlotte indiana they've all been close in certain seasons throughout their career the kings are probably the the team that hasn't been to the closest out of all those you know small market teams i think the kings is more of a a front office thing they've had a little bad luck too i mean they had a pretty good run in the early 2000s and then were irrelevant for a good 12 to 15 years just made bad decisions with bad players and bad coaches so we'll see what they do. It seems like they're in a good direction now. I think there's a good chance that a small market team can win this year. And a team like, I think Milwaukee has a really good chance. And Portland too. Probably one of those, you know, I mentioned in the show. But there's about six to eight teams that really have a good chance. And, and one of those six to eight teams, two of those six to eight teams, I think are Portland and Milwaukee to win this year. Uh, Sacramento, I, I, like I said, just it's more of the people that are in the front office, the people they decide to hire and the moves they make. Maybe they're a little bit unlucky too, but there definitely are small market teams that can win an NBA championship. Thanks again to everybody who asked a question. A reminder, follow me on Instagram at noha underscore Alvarez. Follow the My Mike and I page on Instagram at my period Mike and period I. Also follow me on Twitter at underscore Noah Alvarez. Now is a good time to tell you about the Big Heads Podcast Network, home to many great podcasts, including this one, the My Mike and I podcast, but also home to the podcast like How I Met Your Friends. If you're a fan of How I Met Your Mother or the TV show Friends, here's a commercial describing a little bit more about their show. Do you watch Friends? Do you watch How I Met Your Mother? Then you should listen to How I Met Your Friends. Hi, I'm Kathleen. And I'm Julie. And we are the ladies behind How I Met Your Friends, the podcast that explores the similarities and theories of Friends and How I Met Your Mother. Every week, we watch an episode from each show and dive deep into the crossovers and catchphrases. So if you've ever noticed the similarities between these fantastic shows, come check out our podcast. You can reach us on social media at How I Met Your Friends Pod or email How I Met Your Friends Pod at gmail.com. Boom, Noah Alvarez back in action. Thanks for tuning in to episode 77 of the My Mike and I podcast. This week's episode, I have on RJ Saunders. And if you know RJ, man, he's a mo- he's a very talented multimedia journalist. I met him through the connections I have at the Fallout Media, where I write for. Uh, RJ is currently in Jacksonville, but I have him on over the phone. And we basically preview the NBA season. And so it's a lot, it's a lot of fun talking about the NBA season 
especially this year because we both talk about it, the door's a little bit open because now the Warriors aren't as dominant as years before. You have a couple of players out with injury. You have a couple of players and new teams too. So it seems like there's a lot more balance, a lot more parity in the NBA this year. And so we talk about that, some of our favorite teams. We also give a, a little preview about our favorite teams, the Lakers for him, Celtics for me. And we also talk about some of the sleeper teams, rookies that we're most excited to see, coaches that we'll think we're going to get fired this season. So, yeah, it's a lot of fun, good conversations surrounding all things basketball. So, without further ado, here's a conversation between RJ and I previewing the 2019 to 2020 NBA season. I'm here with my boy RJ Saunders to talk a little bit of NBA NBA season right around the corner and RJ thanks again for hopping on buddy man always Noah you already know I gotta work with the hardest working man in the business right now so anytime you ask me to come on I'm here for you always appreciate it bro appreciate it bro before we get into NBA preview and talk about our teams and some of the you know top teams in both conferences we got to talk about the biggest news in the NBA what it seems like this entire offseason because it's all about the money and a couple days ago, about a week ago from you know today, Daryl Morey tweeted in support of the Hong Kong protesters, which really created a lot of national buzz. Uh, it upset a lot of people in China, especially the government. Adam Silver had to make a response. And then when LeBron James came back from the Lakers trip in China this preseason, he made some comments too. How do you feel about the whole situation of LeBron speaking out and how do you think he handled it? Well, first, I was surprised Daryl Morey said anything just because due to the fact, you know, Yao Ming being such a staple in Houston and being like a global ambassador from China, I would think that if anybody would stay quiet, it would have been Daryl Morey. But for LeBron, I mean, it's kind of interesting how the media is trying to play it because so many people that have been saying – set up and dribble are now criticizing him for what he said. Mm -hmm. I don't think LeBron really had too much information on it, but I remember reading an article a couple of days ago and I want to say it was from the athletic. I want to say it was. And, and it was, I think 2015 during the Tamir Rice shooting. And they had asked LeBron to speak his mind on it. Right. And LeBron was like, you know, I really don't have a lot of information on the issue. I haven't really dug too deep into it, so I don't want to say anything, speak out of turn, and then it'd be out of line. And some people were, like, disappointed at LeBron for not saying anything. Mm -hmm. I think we've gotten so used to any issue that comes up, LeBron's got to say something about it. Mm Mm-hmm. And what if Max Kellerman is right? Not on the selling out part. I won't call it selling out, but I may call it protecting his money. Mm-hmm. He may be like, listen, Daryl Morey said it, and maybe he should have waited until all the NBA teams left. And I think LeBron's probably in a position, he's like, well, I don't want to say anything bad about China because if I do then I may be losing potential money down the line if I say anything. Right. 
But it's not like China's really changed, though, when you look at it. I mean, they've been the same China before Daryl Morey, the NBA, or LeBron James ever spoke about the issue and was still giving the NBA money. Mm-hmm. Now LeBron and Daryl Morey and the NBA say something about it. Now China's up in arms about it. And now just because LeBron James is one of the leading faces of not only athletics, but one of the faces of just the USA because he's always speaking about something. Right. Now all of a sudden it's an issue. Did he handle it the right way? I don't know if 2015 is in the back of his mind where he's saying, well, I can't say nothing. They're expecting me to say something. Mm-hmm. But it's okay to say, you know what, I don't know. I, I really feel like LeBron could have said, you know, hey, I don't know too much about this situation. I know what Daryl Morey said. I know what Adam Silver said. And, you know, I just hope, you know, the best for China. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the protesters, I hope that they stay safe. I hope they're able to protest in peace. And I hope that China, you know, hopefully down the line is able to get something done and we're able to come to a happy medium. I know that whatever they've been doing has, quote, unquote, worked. Mm-hmm. for, you know, half a century or a full century. But, you know, now we're in 2019. Maybe something should start to change. And I don't think he would have been out of line for that. But to try to go in so deep about it, I think that's when that's when you start having a problem. Because when you try to act like you know more than what you know, mm-hmm. then you then you find yourself into an issue. But what was your kind of opinion on it, though? Well, with Daryl Morey, the GM of the Rockets, you know, I'm a big believer in free speech, whether it's Kaepernick, Muhammad Ali, and some of these other athletes that speak their opinion in any sport. I think it's great because that's, you know, if I or you wanted to do the same thing, people wouldn't have a problem with it. It's just that these, you know, athletes and the GMs of teams have certain platforms where they can reach, you know, thousands and maybe even millions of people. And it's kind of a sticky situation. Like you said, the Rockets had Yao Ming, who was, like you said, the ambassador for China for so long. So the Rockets were one of those, you know, really favored teams in China. And I think from an NBA perspective, they were, you know, kind of thrown off by Maury's comments because it's all about money at the end of the day. And I think that's why a lot of people are upset with Maury. The Rockets might be upset with him and, you know, NBA and Adam Silver are upset with him. But I, I support what he I support what he said because at the end of the day, all athletes and all the, you know anybody who runs a team like that like he does, they all have the freedom of speech, being a U.S. citizen. So, you know, and then and then for LeBron to kind of undercut him like that, I, I think like like I was saying earlier, it's all about the money. China's what the second biggest market outside of the United States. They have a billion freaking people in that country. So, right. you know, at the end of the day, LeBron's looking out for his money. The NBA is trying to look out for his money. Uh, you know, right. so it's hard, it's kind of hard to back a guy publicly like Maury because you don't want to upset the second biggest market in the world. That's a fact. I, I just think also, if I was LeBron, I could say, you know, hey, why don't, you know, we get Yao in a room, you know, like, China's up in arms about it. It's not like we can go to, you know, the, well, to be the ambassador of China or the president of China or whatever and have a conversation with him. The closest thing that we have to it mm-hmm. is Yao Ming. 
so we're all just going to come in the room. We're going to talk to Yao and just ask, you know, why was China so up in arms about it? And also get Yao's thoughts about it so we can have a better understanding mm-hmm. of why China's so up in arms about it and why they don't want to detour from what has, again, quote-unquote, worked since their inception. And could there ever come a point in time where they would kind of defer from that? What would have to be the grounds for them to do that? And if there are none, then I mean, hey, but it's not like, I don't think LeBron was trying to say, hey, you know what, the protesters shouldn't speak, because we know LeBron's going to say, hey, speak your mind, speak your peace. It's freedom of speech. Yeah. But at the same time, I just feel, you know, you try to undercut Maury and just try to say, hey, you should have waited till we got back and you should have waited for this and that. I don't think it would have made a difference. China still would have been pissed off either way just because the comments were out there. Right, exactly. <laughs> but like you said, at the end of the day, this is still a business. Mm-hmm. This is still about money. And the NBA is always going to protect their money. And they're still going to get money from China. It's not like China's pulling out completely and saying we don't want to mess with the NBA anymore. Mm-hmm. China gets a lot of money from the NBA and vice versa. I just don't know if could it have been handled a different way. Maybe, but we don't know now. It's already been said. Now we just have to wait, you know, a couple of, I guess, months just to see what the final verdict is going to be. Mm-hmm. But, you know, maybe this was at a time where LeBron just should have said, you know what, hey, I understand what's going on in China, and, you know, I wish them all the best. Um, but I do respect, you know, them wanting to change some things in China. The protesters want to change some things in China. Mm-hmm. But I don't know the whole issue, you know, deeply. So I don't want to speak on something that I 100% do not know. Mm-hmm. But what I do know is if the people of China want some things to change, their voices should be heard. And I would have left that that. You could splice it and you could take that however you wanted to but for LeBron to really undercut in a way Daryl Morey and amongst other things I don't know maybe this didn't make LeBron look the best in that moment right now I 100% agree with you it was it's a tricky situation and we'll see how it plays out like you said in the coming months coming weeks and We'll see what goes on from here and, you know, kind of keep an eye on the situation. So NBA season right around the corner. We're recording this on Monday. NBA, the season opener starts Tuesday, tomorrow. Let's talk about our favorite teams first, the Los Angeles Lakers, Boston Celtics for me. And I want to do something a little different where we talk about each of our teams from a homer perspective and give, you know, almost like best case scenario. And then we kind of put on, you know, a realistic lens and maybe you know, talk about our team differently and play devil's advocate to our first thoughts. You want to go ahead and start it off with the Lakers? The Lakers are winning the damn championship, you know. <laughs> That's all i got to say on the damn subject. We are winning the 2019-2020 championship. <laughs> and if anybody got anything to say about it, kick rocks. <laughs> Tough. Okay, the NBA will be painted purple and gold again. Did we, <laughs> did we watch LeBron James and Anthony Davis in the preseason? 
probably going to stop the pick and roll. Did we see Quinn Cook? Quinn Cook is the steal of free agency. He's hitting threes from everywhere. Who's the dude? Norvell Jr. dropping pool twice in preseason? <laughs> Are you serious? We got the best team of all time. Warriors who? I'm sorry. Your time is past. <laughs> and that's all I have to say on the subject. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I love it. I love it. Now, put a little twist on it. Play devil's advocate. What do you think about these Lakers team? I can see a couple things going wrong, to be honest. Um, listening to Colin Cowherd, I think it was a couple months ago, and now seeing it to the preseason, a couple things are different. But he was saying it's kind of like the Lakers are a great poster. They have, you know, a lot of good superheroes, but they also have a lot of specialists on this team. It's not like you can just plug and play certain guys. It's not like you can say, hey, Quinn Cook can also play the three, or hey, Caldwell Pope can also play small ball four. Mm-hmm. And the offense sucks when LeBron James and Anthony Davis aren't out there. We saw in the game that they didn't play, I think they still won that game against Golden State. I don't know. I don't remember. But the offense just looked really sloppy when they don't play. So now you have to say when LeBron James doesn't play in, you know, 15 games to the load management, Anthony Davis doesn't play 15 games due to load management, and they both sit out at the same time, how does this offense look? At the same time, there's really nobody else, unless Kyle Kuzma's willing to come off the bench, there's nobody on this team that could create their own shot, like their own shot, like iso ball, give me the ball, let me cook. There's not a guy on that team that can do it. Mm-hmm. And you would think Carmelo is going to be signed to this team if they don't get Andre Iguodala, but Carmelo has a game that's dated. A lot of mid-range, a lot of post up and he doesn't play defense. So now that hurts you as well. So a lot of things can go well for the Lakers, but essentially you are depending on LeBron James and Anthony Davis to at least play 65 games this year. And in the games that they don't play, you're just hoping that they play teams that suck or that are having an off night so that you can get some wins. Other than that, this Lakers team is really going to be needing LeBron and AD to play constantly to Mm -hmm. where it's at least a 20-point blowout in the fourth quarter, about five minutes left. Then you're able to bring the bench in. But I just don't trust this team right now if LeBron James and Anthony Davis aren't playing. Kyle Kuzma's good. Kyle Kuzma can get his bucket. But if I were to go to Kyle Kuzma and say, listen, you're going to be the leader of the offense tonight because LeBron and AD aren't playing, I'm not confident saying we're going to get a win. Right. So it's going to be interesting to see what the Lakers are able to do this year with no LeBron James and no Anthony Davis when they take those low management games. Mm-hmm. That's my thing. So I don't have them finishing as the number one seed. I have them finishing as a top four and they may finish fourth just due to the fact that this offense is really going to get exposed with no LeBron and no AD. That's that's me playing devil's advocate, 
and I'm scared to say it, but that's what's going to happen this season with the Lakers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the interesting thing, not just with the Lakers, but with any team with superstars, right? Because we saw the Raptors do it last year. Load management is going to be key in keeping those young stars healthy for the entire season. LeBron, you know, for the first time ever, really, in his career, he got injured, missed more than a, you know, a handful of games last season. Right. Anthony Davis is very oft injured, so you know those guys' health is going to be key for the Lakers. I do like their supporting cast a little bit more this year than they did last year. Just because they had, they have shooters now. They have Quinn Cook, like you mentioned. Troy Daniels is a really explosive shooter. Danny Green. They also have the individual defenders too, like Avery Bradley that could come in and shut things down for, you know, the top point guard like the Currys and the Hardens and the Westbrooks. So I like the addition of those guys, the supporting cast, much better than, you know, the Lance Stevensons and and so on and so forth that they had last year in those same spots. But like you said, who's going to come off the bench? You know, who's going to, can Alex Caruso and Kyle Kuzma and those guys take that next step? You know, we get, we know, because we know what we're going to get from McGee. We know what we're going to get from Howard. We kind of already know what we're going to get from Rondo and Bradley. Those guys are kind of towards on the latter half of their careers. So you, you got to really expect those young guys to kind of come out and, and kind of hit that ceiling or feel more of their potential. And I think the Lakers right. will just be all right. Right. I don't know. It's going to be interesting. Um, I like the defenders that they did pick up. I think Avery Bradley was a huge steal. I think Quinn Cook was a huge steal. It's just due to the reason that what you were able to get because you waited so long on Kawhi Leonard, mm-hmm. and Kawhi Leonard ends up you know, going to the Clippers, and all these guys that were interested in coming to the Lakers end up going to other teams because they didn't want to wait and they didn't want to miss out on some money mm-hmm. because you're saying we're waiting on Kawhi Leonard as if LeBron James and Anthony Davis aren't enough. Right. Now, do I think you paid Danny Green a little bit much? Maybe, but I think he's going to be huge for you this season. Yeah. I think Rondo's going to be much improved just because of the fact that he played with Anthony Davis in New Orleans, so you kind of have that dynamic between the both of them. Right. Dwight Howard, I think he's going to be okay. I'm not too hyped on him right now just because of what he's done in the preseason. But I think he's going to be a much-needed help for the Lakers in pick-and-roll situations, also the block shots. I think that's going to be a huge help for the Lakers. But right now, I think the thing is going to be – the Lakers shot the ball really well in a couple of games during the preseason. Does that continue during the regular season when now you're playing first-string guys? Mm-hmm. Uh, but for what you were able to get in the loss of the Kawhi Leonard sweepstakes, I think the Lakers roster looks really good. The only question I have right now is how does that offense look with no LeBron and AD? And do you have a score that can create their own shot coming off the bench? And right now, I don't think that they truly have that. But I think they're going to be able to get away with a lot because you have these two behemoths in LeBron James and Anthony Davis who good luck stopping that pick-and-roll when they decide to put themselves in a pick-and-roll situation because there's just 
so many options that they have with that pick and roll. LeBron can go to the basket and AD could pop. LeBron James could take a 15-footer or he could pass it to AD and AD can dunk it. Or it could be a drop pass to AD, a kick out to, let's say, Quinn Cook. There's just so many options that they have in that pick and roll situation. Right. So the Lakers are in a situation to where, man, I don't, I can't remember the last time they've been in a situation like this where you have two players to where it's, there's so many options that they have out of a simple pick and roll. Pick your poison. I want to ask you about the coaching staff because that's important for every team. This year, the Lakers hired Frank Vogel as the head coach. Also brought in Jason Kidd, Lionel Hollins, two coaches with head coaching experience to be their assistant coaches. How do you feel about this coaching staff this year? Is it a problem that I like Frank Vogel? Uh, I don't think so. I, I thought he had a good run with the, the Indiana Pacers. I think that he has probably got his second wind with the Lakers. I think he's a great defensive coach. And if we've seen the Lakers the last few years, what's kind of been their Achilles heel amongst other things? Defense. The big glaring factor has always been they've never really been a great defensive team. I mean, you had Byron Scott a couple years ago, but he was more or less to babysit Kobe. But Byron Scott's kind of a guy where – he needs veteran guys who understand the game of basketball. Byron Scott really wasn't like much of a teacher. Like, I'm going to teach you defensive rotations and all these other things on the defensive side of the ball. Mm-hmm. Frank Vogel is kind of in a situation to where he had a team that was fairly young. I mean, Paul George wasn't the Paul George that we know now. That was kind of a relatively younger Paul George. Now, he did have veteran guys on that Indiana team like Roy Hibbert, who was still kind of young. He was still finding his way, but also had David West, Danny Granger, George Hill, then Jeff Teague for a minute. I think he's in a great situation. And I think also signing Lionel Hollins, that's a huge steal because nobody knows defense better than Lionel Hollins. I mean, if you remember those Memphis teams that he coached, Oh, yeah. I mean, those were dogs on the defensive end. Mm-hmm. Jason Kidd, I really feel like Jason Kidd, he's going to be more or less that guy that is, I played with LeBron James. I played against Rondo. You no, know, I played somewhat with Anthony Davis, or at least I played against him all in his young years. So when they say certain things about what they saw or what they thought was going to open up, they can come to me and I'll say, you know what, yeah, I saw that too from a player's perspective, but maybe you could have also done this. Mm-hmm. But I don't think Frank Vogel should be on the hot seat or that I should be glaring at him the entire season. Let the man do his thing. I think he's going to put this team in the right direction. I don't think that Jason Kidd should be, well, we're just going to give it 20 games, and if we go 13 and – nine or 13 and eight, then we're going to fire Frank Bolden. I don't think the Lakers are going to start out 13 and eight. I think the Lakers are going to have like a really, really, really good starting 20 games. I really think that's going to be the case. Mm-hmm. But 
Frank Vogel is a dude to where I think if he gets this team sold out on defense, and I think he has the defensive players to do it, I think this Lakers team is going to put themselves in a nice position in the first two months of the season. Now, my other problem is you do have a lot of these guys who are defenders that are a lot older. And I already know probably once we get to January or maybe mid to late November, a lot of those guys are going to take plays off on the defensive end. Mm-hmm. But I also think Frank Vogel is going to know what to do to get these guys back on the right track defensively. I think offense is there. I think you've got the necessary people on the offensive end. Yeah. But defense wins championships. Isn't that what they always say? Defense wins championships? Yeah, very true in every sport. And I think Frank Vogel is the dude that can get it done for the Lakers. So I like Frank. I also like Jason Kidd. I like uh, Lionel Hollins. I like Candy from Cleveland that they picked up. Because mm-hmm. I think he's going to be another guy that's going to be able to talk to LeBron James in certain situations. I like Frank Vogel. I don't, I don't really understand a lot of these guys that really think Frank Vogel is going to be out in two months. I think Frank Vogel is going to be the coach for this year and next year. He may play out his whole contract. But for a team that needed to be a better team defensively, I don't know if you found a better coach than Frank Vogel. Yeah, it's a tricky situation just because everywhere LeBron goes, it seems like the coaches are always in an unstabilized position. It's always kind of rocky. He's gotten so many coaches fired in Cleveland, and, and you know Miami was kind of the only place where there was structure with Eric Spolstra. So we'll see how Vogel plays out. I think the rotations are going to be huge, too, because like you said, LeBron last year, he took a lot of plays off on defense, let's be honest. Rondo's been right. taking plays off on defense the last two, three seasons. Um, so Don't we'll, remind me. <laughs> so we'll see how those older guys, you know, r- rotating them with the younger guys and making sure they can get good defensive possessions on a consistent basis. That's going to be huge for Vogel and the coaching staff. That is definitely going to be huge, so... It's going to be definitely an interesting season. I'm just glad we're able to kick things off tomorrow, man, and against the Clippers and just see kind of where we are against first-string guys. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the first 10 games I think is going to really be a telltale for what the Lakers are trying to do schematically as far as rotations and also on the defensive end. There you go. All right, let's move it over to the Eastern Conference with my favorite team, the Boston Celtics. And let me tell you, RJ, the Celtics are the most slept-on team here coming into this 2019-2020 NBA season. You know why? Because Kyrie Irving was a virus on this team. He hurt the team chemistry. Now he's out in Brooklyn to kill their young squad. We bring in Kemba, and sure, Kemba's no Kyrie Irving when it comes to individual player, but Kemba is going to allow this team to grow. They're going to Give the ball to Jason Tatum more. Gordon Hayward will be touching the ball more. And I think with Kyrie out of the picture and Kemba being more of an off-ball, off-ball point guard and kind of let them do their thing, I think we're going to both see progression in Tatum and Hayward's game. I think Tatum's going to be in the MVP talks at the end of the year because after a dominant rookie season, I think you know the sophomore slump happens to a lot of players. I think, like I said, it right. didn't help that he had Kyrie, a very ISO-heavy offensive player. 
You give the ball to Tatum a little bit more and Hayward. He's going to be able to dish it out. I love the pickup of Carson Edwards this offseason, too, in the draft. Watch out for that rookie. He hit eight three-pointers in a game this preseason. I know it's just the preseason, but Carson Edwards is going to be, if I can compare it to another short player, he's going to be like Nate Robinson coming off the bench for he did it for so many different teams where he's at spark plug and one out of every four or five nights, he's going to bring in 20 points off the bench and just really spark an offense. And I think that's going to be huge for the Celtics going forward. I love the signing of Ennis Cantor as well. They're going to bring that energy, getting the boards offensively. I love what he did with Portland last year. So I, I think this team, they're not going to finish as the one seed in the East, but I think they're definitely capable. They're a lock to win more than 52, 53 games this, this year. And they're going to be at least the top three seed in the Eastern Conference. And I think I, they're my favorites right now to win the Eastern Conference Finals. Are we coming back to reality now? Or, you know, are you, are you done? <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm, I'm done with the Homer perspective. Realistically, I think the team's biggest weakness defensively is going to be at the big man position. They lose Al Horford, which is, uh, which is very unfortunate, especially how they handle that situation, too. He goes to Philadelphia and so now they're stuck with Cantor, Daniel Tice, and Robert Williams, you know, young prospect still. Uh, and so guarding a defensive big man, especially like Joel Embiid, and even guarding a guy like Giannis Antetokounmpo over in Milwaukee, th- those are going to be challenges. Even guarding, I think, like Miles Turner in Indiana and Nikola- Nikolai Vucevic is going to be really tough for the Celtics this season. But I just really, I'm all in on the growth and the, we're going to see a, a different level of blossoming with Tatum, with Brown, and I think even with Gordon Hayward, too, now that Kemba's the point guard. I think that's going to help the chemistry a little bit more. Kemba's still really clutch in the fourth quarter, too. I think, you know, in the fourth quarter when you need a clutch bucket, I think you're not going to lose anything with Kyrie and or the placement of Kemba over Kyrie. Obviously, you know, is Kyrie or is Kemba going to get you the same amount of points on a consistent basis as Kyrie? No, but I think they're going to be able to run a little bit more of that Brad Stevens offense, move the ball around. We're going to see Hayward doing a little bit more point guard duties too, some point forward. And I think we're going to get a little bit more from Jason Tatum this year, which I, I really like going forward. Brad Stevens, I still think, is a top five coach in this league. I, I, I really think, you know, Kyrie was kind of a kind of a virus for this team and it kind of hurt especially those young players because they were just in a Kyrie offense you know he would dribble around wait till you know the five second mark in the shot clock and either chuck up a, a contested shot or pass it out and so a lot of guys yeah. like Tatum Brown they came up spot up shooters and you know that's not really what their strength is so I think we'll see a little bit more movement in the offense which is going to be huge for the Celtics going forward I really like the Celtics roster. I think that they fit, like you said, they fit more of a Brad Stevens type of offense and a type of system. And we kind of even saw that when Kyrie went down, when the Celtics made that huge playoff run a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. When they don't have that big-name star or they don't have that big-name guy, it seems like the offense flows differently. And I think Kimball Walker is a guy to where you can say – hey, for the next five minutes, can you just create, whether that's for yourself or for other guys? Mm-hmm. And then there's also going to be times to where I think Gordon Hayward's going to be a guy where they say, hey, Kimba, you're going to play more of an off guard, and we're going to run the offense through Gordon Hayward. Mm-hmm. Like you said, I think their biggest thing is going to be defensively with the center position. 
I just don't know if Ennis Cantor is that guy that's always the best defender against opposing big men. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's done a good job in some areas, but in other areas he can get exposed. The only thing that I have is I really feel like Danny Ames and the crew of that front office, I don't know when, but I think they're going to make a trade. And I don't know with who. I mean, you hear, what, Blake Griffin? But that, I mean, that's kind of two, three years too late. I think so, too. Um, I mean, so, yeah, there's I mean, there's a couple guys. I mean, you hear, like, Jalen Brown may get traded or whatever. But, I mean, I like kind of the guard play and also the wing play. Um, I think that Marcus Smart is going to have a great season this season. Mm-hmm. But I think eyes are going to be on Jason Tatum because now it's going to be, is he going to make that leap? There is no more Kyrie Irving. What has he brought to the table this season? Can he get in his bag? And if he doesn't, let's just say he has like an average year, I think unfairly the talk is going to be, well, did we sell ourselves too high on Jason Tatum? And did he just have one solid season? Mm-hmm. I don't think that's the case. I think Jason Tatum's going to ball out, but I think he's going to put himself in a position where he shouldn't have to overthink this. Just play your game. Mm -hmm. I think he's heard the talks from last season, but that was last season. Let this season come and let this season, you know, take its course. Also the same thing for Jalen Brown. I know that he was – he feels kind of undervalued because of what he did last season for the Celtics mm-hmm. and now what he's done for Team USA. He kind of wants his money. He thinks that he's done enough. But I think that you just have to let your play show, and then the money will come, you know, after. But I really feel like this Celtics team right now, out of all the other teams in the NBA, I think this team is going to make a trade. I don't know with who. But I think they're going to want to get a big name player. Yeah, and I think Jalen Brown is that most expendable name. I mean, sorry to interrupt the conversation between RJ and I, but I did want to make a quick little correction. At the time that we recorded this, it was early Monday morning on October 21st. Jalen Brown had did not had not signed any contract extension. Literally later that day, he did sign a four-year, $115 million contract extension to stay with the Boston Celtics. Doesn't mean that I don't think he should be traded, but I did want to throw this little fact in there because we recorded this on Monday. It's not going to post till Friday, so I wanted to update on the situation and not seem like we're outdated. All right, let's get back to the conversation. Just right before the season, it was rumored that the Celtics offered him a contract. I forgot exactly for how much it was, but Brown wasn't interested in signing that contract, wants something a little bigger. So him and being in a contract year, I think it makes sense to trade him and see, you know, send him off to a team and maybe get a, a, a big man like, you know, I know Vucevic just re-signed in the Magic, but if he's available at the trade deadline, go after a guy like that. They might have to give up some of the younger players. and some of the, But I think a lot of the players that they drafted in this year's draft have some good potential in the, you know, Grant Williams and the Romeo Romeo Langfords. So I think, you know, and they also still have a, quite a few picks. They have four first-round picks in the next two years still. So I think that'll be a bonus for them going forward when trading. I think even if they went after, like, a, a power forward, because I think, you know, they can go small ball and play Hayward at the four. 
But I think realistically they're not going to be able to do that for 48 minutes, you know, or 40 minutes a night. So I think even making a pickup or a trade for like a guy like Julius Randle on the New York Knicks, I would love to see something like that, get some offense and get, a, you know, really bully down low and someone who can control the paint and that tempo offensively down low for the Celtics. So, yeah, it's interesting to see. I think, like you said, Brown will be traded. And hopefully this is the year Ainge finally pulls the trigger, right? Because, I mean, we saw it where he was rumored to get Jimmy Butler and things never went through. It was rumored that he was going to go after Paul George and things never went through. Anthony Davis and it never went through. So we'll see. Can they finally do something? You know, we'll, we'll see what Ainge has in, in business. But it seems like the last few years he's gotten, you know, a little shy to pull the trigger come trade deadline in the past few seasons. I think probably the reason for that was because he thought because he had a guy like Kyrie Irving that Kyrie Irving would have been able to promote the team. And because of all the assets that they had, I think he probably sat back on that too, saying we already got a competitive team. Yeah. And he just didn't want to give up too much for one player when he had so many other players that were already producing. Mm-hmm. So now, yeah, I really feel like no time would be better than now. I mean, wait on it. Wait till like at least the all-star break to at least decipher what you want to do. But I think if this team wants to go over that 50 win mark, they may have to give up a couple guys that they may not want to give up, but you're just going to have to do it. If you want to go deep into, into the playoff race, because right now I have this team winning about 49 games. Um, and that's just because there's just going to be some guys on this team that I feel are not going to be able to know what to do in high-pressure situations. Right. I'm not talking about guys like Kimba or Gordon Hayward or Dave Brown, but, you know, you talk about guys like Carson Edwards or you talk about guys like, you know, Ennis Cantor, or, you know, do we play him in the fourth? Do we not play him in the fourth? I think you're just going to need one more guy to where you can kind of have a sigh of relief right? Um, just for, you know, a couple of games to where you say, you know what, we have this guy in, we're in great shape. I just don't know if they have that guy yet at the four or five position to where we can say that right now. Yeah, exactly. So let's stick with that Eastern Conference, talk about some teams that we like in that Eastern Conference. For me personally – I really am excited about this Philadelphia 76ers team. Ben Simmons looks really good. I, I know it's just the preseason, and I know he's not going to you know, attempt six three-pointers a game. But if he can hit a jump shot semi-consistently just outside the paint and maybe hit a three or two every you know, two or three games just to keep a defense honest, that's going to open up so much more, not only for him and that Sixers offense. I think the signing of Al Horford was huge because I think we saw last year in the postseason – Embiid had to play, like, what, 42, 43 minutes because they really didn't have a backup big. Now I think they can run right. Horford at the four or however they want to do it, Horford at the five, Embiid at the four. And then, you know, sometimes work that rotation to where when Embiid hits the bench, you still have Horford, a guy like Horford on the floor leading that team. Picking up Josh Richardson was huge in the trade uh, with Miami Heat. I think that was a huge addition. Okay. And they bring back Tobias Harris, a lot of the same guys that they had last year. So I think this is a really dangerous Philadelphia team. They add more depth, which was a problem they had last year, and they get a little bit more shooting back, too. That is true. I definitely like the Philadelphia team. 
I like them with um, with the addition of Horford. And there's just so much that they can do. They're just such a big team now. I mean, Horford and Embiid, Tobias Harris, Ben Simmons. I really feel like a lot of teams, when they see the Sixers on their schedule, they're just going to be like, damn. Because they're going hard body, big body karate <laughs> for 48 minutes on you. Right. Now, I just don't know if they have, like, a small ball lineup yet. I don't know. I haven't really, like, looked at their roster in full. But to have a big roster like that, to where maybe, you know, when Embiid is out, you you still got Al Horford. You can play Tobias at the four. Um, if you didn't want to play Tobias and you wanted to do something like a – Ben Simmons and Al Horford, you could do that as well. From the looks of things, it seems like Joel Embiid has lost some weight. I just wonder if he has done anything to kind of elevate his game as far as does he have more moves. Because that pump pick that he does at the three, I really feel like a lot of teams know that that's coming now. It's not like we're going to jump and commit to that now. Yeah. It's it's really like a slow pump fake. <laughs> then it's like a drive left to the bucket, and you're either trying to dunk it on somebody, or if you stop him, he's just going to back you down, try to do a fadeaway. I, I just hope that he has a little bit something more in his bag. But like you said, if Ben Simmons is able to hit, let's say he's able to hit like two threes a game. Whew. That's all I'm asking for. Yeah just so that other teams can respect it, I think Philly's probably the team that would scare me the most more than the Milwaukee team. Mm -hmm. But another team that I'm liking right now, and I don't know if I should be saying this, (laughs) but I'm liking the Hawks. Oh, are you? I'm liking the Hawks for some reason. I really feel... I really feel Trey Young's gonna have a decent year. I think he's gonna he's gonna have somewhat of a slump, but it's not gonna be too noticeable. I think that he had a good summer, and from the videos I watched, but I mean, you know, a video can make anybody look good. Mm-hmm. But I also think just kind of with the young guys that they have with John Collins, and I think Cam Reddish is gonna have an okay year. I think Herter is going to have a good year as well. I'm not saying that they're going to be a team that is, you know, a top five team, but I think that they make the playoffs this year for some reason. I just really feel like they do. Um, I think the Heat are going to be okay, but the Heat are another team for me. But I think they're going to make a trade some point this season. I think they're going to want to dump the Gordon Dragic uh, contract. I think they're going to want to dump that. Yeah. And I don't know for who yet. I don't know if it's for Chris Paul and Danilo Gallinari. I don't know if it's for Kyle Lowry. Um, but I'm also liking Tyler Hero, who I'm already calling the white Devin Booker. <laughs> hey. I, I mean, I like him. And a team that I'm kind of wishy-washy about that made the playoffs last year that I don't think is going to make it this year is the Indiana Pacers, and that's unfair to them because I know that, you know, Victor Oladipo, he may come back, I think, December, but I just don't know if that's enough time 
for him to at least give Indiana that much of a boost to make the playoffs. So as much as I want them to make it, I think it's just going to be a long uphill battle until Victor Oladipo comes back. But is there anything you're liking in the East? You know, I want to talk about the Bucks because I think they're going to digress a little bit this season. I think really? losing I, I think losing Brogdon's gonna hurt them a little bit. And unless we okay. see unless we see Giannis take that next step for the Bucks and really, you know, open up his game. Kind of like Ben Simmons where he can hit a jump shot. Not only just, you know, mid range, but hit some three pointers more consistently. I think this team is gonna digress a little bit because George Hill and Brooke Lopez, they're not they're not the players to really, you know, get any better. They're kinda at what they're at right now. I think both of them are a little past their prime even. So we may see them right. decline a little bit. I don't think Lo- Lo- Brooke Lopez is going to have that season. They signed Brooke's you know, brother, Robin Lopez. Again, kind of more of like a hustle player, kind of like a canter where he gives you good minutes. Uh, de- he's right. more of a defensive player than canter. But I don't know how I feel about Middleton. I-, I just don't know how I feel about Bledsoe as well. They did add Wesley Matthews, Kyle Korver. You get some good shooters there, and Matthews is a, a little bit of a sporadic shooter. I wouldn't say he's very consistent. So I'm not sure right. how I like the supporting cast around Giannis this year as far as them progressing together because, you know, you do lose, like, some of those younger players. And I'm just not sure Middleton is the exact second fiddle because he does great in the regular season, and you'll see him have some big nights here and there taking over. But I thought, like, when they get down to the playoffs and stuff like that, we, we kind of saw him disappear just like we saw Bledsoe disappear a little bit. How much can Lopez and George Hill play those roles and step up for those guys if they don't come up big in the big-time minutes. I just don't know right now, agreeing with you, that point guard situation with George Hill and Eric Bledsoe, I mean, they always look very good in the regular season, but it's something about the playoffs that it always nicks at them, and I just don't know why. Um, Chris Middleton, yeah, I mean, he's consistent, but... I don't think – I think the time has passed now to where you question whether or not he can be your second-best player on a championship-level team. Mm-hmm. I think he's probably like the third-best player. He's a nice option to have. But to say this is the Robin to my Batman, I don't know. Like, I don't think that that's the case. Um, I mean, you know, Budenholzer, I think, took things to another level for Milwaukee coaching-wise. And we know what Giannis can do, and I think Giannis is going to be more of a consistent outside shooter, but he's not going to be someone where you say, my gosh, he's shooting 43% from downtown. we got to guard him now. He's not going to be all that. Like, he's still going to be a dude that he's going to take one, two steps, dunk from the free throw line, and that's just what it's going to be for Giannis. But I just don't see really too many other guys on this team that are really that dangerous. I mean, Kyle Crover, how old is he, 104 now? <laughs> I think he's 105. 105? I think we missed his birthday. Um, <laughs> Wesley Matthews, yeah, like you said, he's streaky. And when he's on, he's on. But when he's off, Ooh, he's ugly. He's off. They, so now for Giannis, it's just who's the second guy that I have on this team or the third guy, I have to say, because he'd probably say Chris Middleton. 
who's the third guy that I have on this team where I say, hey, I'm sitting until the seven-minute mark of the fourth quarter. We're up by seven. Are you guys going to be okay until I come back in the seven-minute mark? Right. I don't know if they have that guy yet, so I agree with you on that. I still think this is probably the team in the Eastern Conference right now just due to the fact that Kawhi is no longer in Toronto. So by default, this would probably have to be the most dangerous team. But Philly's not too far back. And they're going to need to do something, or Giannis is just going to have to be on another level than what he was last year. And, I mean, he averaged 28-12, I think six assists, and a block a game. What more are we asking this guy to do? Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's going to be an interesting. It's going to be an interesting season for the Bucks by far. Yeah, and just because you know the Eastern Conference is so weak, another team I want to highlight that I think will make the playoffs, kind of like you had predicted with the Hawks. I really like the Chicago Bulls' chances this year. Maybe make it as a wow. seven or eight seed, just because that Eastern Conference is so weak. I don't really see anybody else really contending with them because you know the Hornets are going to have right. a big drop off. I think the Magic will kind of be in that similar ballpark where they were in last year as well as the Pistons. So I think, you know, right. the the Bulls with guys like Zach Levine, Laurie Markkinen, hopefully those guys can take a step up in their game. They added Thaddeus right. Young. I think that's a, you know, a good veteran who can add some quality minutes at the power forward or the, the three position. They also drafted Colby White. So I like some of the players here that they have going forward for this Bulls team. Like I said, I'm not ecstatic. I think, you know, I think 39, 38 wins in the Eastern Conference will get you a 7 seed. And, you know, maybe 36 will get you an 8 seed. So it's not saying a whole lot. But I think they're in that Hawks category where they're going to take a step up from where they were last year. And probably probably make the playoffs just because I don't like too many of the teams in the Eastern Conference. We haven't talked about the Brooklyn Nets either. And that's a team where I think... I think Kenny Atkinson, the head coach, is going to have his hands full. I think at the beginning of the year... Because Kevin Durant's probably, what do you think? Do you think Kevin Durant's going to play at all this year, even if they make the playoffs? I don't think he is. I don't think he should. Why rush him back? I mean, listen, Golden State, the biggest thing during that entire offseason was, well, it's your guys' fault. You guys rushed them back. I don't think the Nets want to have the same thing. I think right now they feel they have a good enough team to be a top four seed in the East mm-hmm. and maybe make the second round. And then once we get Kevin Durant back, then we'll start thinking championship. Mm-hmm. But right now I really think that it has to be – Kenny Atkinson has to say, listen, I'm still going to play these young guys. There's no way, at least for me, there's no way DeAndre Jordan should be getting more minutes than Jared Allen. I just don't see that. Right. I like Spencer Dinwiddie. I like Karis LeVert. I think Joe Harris is going to have a big season. I don't think there's a reason that Kyrie Irving has to handle the ball as much as he would expect himself to do because there's so many other ball handlers on this team to where he could play off guard. Right. So, like you said, I think the problem was in Boston that Kyrie Irving kind of wanted to be that featured star, and he was. 
But with this Brooklyn team, you're going to have to let these young guys play. You're going to have to if you're Kyrie Irving. And if you let them play, I think you're going to have a better than average year. Then when Durant comes back, you're just able to plug him in, Mm -hmm. and then you're, wow, a championship contender. Right. But, you know, Thorian Prince, Karis LeVert, Joe Harris, Spencer Dinwiddie, Jared Allen – um, Karoops, I think his name was, the stretch four. You got a good young nucleus there if you're Kyrie Irving just looking at it. I think right. the only thing now is you're going to have to let these guys play. If you don't let them play Kyrie, then, I mean, whose fault really is it? Can Kyrie really blame it on somebody else if he doesn't let these young guys cook? No, I think that's where he's got to look in the mirror and say, hey, maybe some of that blame is on myself because just like the Nets, the, you know, I think it's a little different kind of core, but the Celtics had a very young core, very talented young core with Brown smart. And you have uh, Jason Tatum and even Hayward, you know, he's not old either. So I think that's going to be, I think that's one of my bold predictions for this season. The Nets are either going to get out the gate slow or maybe they'll get out to a decent start, but towards the end of the year, I think chemistry-wise, Kyrie's going to you know hurt this team a little bit, especially as far as the young guys being unhappy with the amount of touches. And I think it hurts them that Kevin Durant's not going to play at all this season just because when they made the signings for both those players, I think a lot of Nets fans and just a lot of NBA fans in general were, oh, you know, championship right away. And they were just so hot on this team right away in this first season. But I think with Kevin Durant probably not going to play that entire year, whether they make the playoffs or not. I think this team, you know, probably going to finish as a five or six seed in this Eastern Conference. Well, they finished because what they finished six last year. They were forty-two and forty last year. Yeah. So that was good enough for the six seed. I think they're probably a top five seed with the team currently constructed. But like I said, I think it's just going to have to come down to Kyrie Irving and how he just wants to assess what his game needs to be like. I think he's in a situation right now where he doesn't have to handle the ball for 48 straight minutes. He has Karis LeVert. He has Spencer Dinwiddie. Mm -hmm. He has other guys that can handle the ball to where he can play off guard and he could spot up and shoot or they pass it to him on the wing and he doesn't have to dribble for 10, 15 seconds. But that's going to have to be Kyrie Irving's own decision. If Kyrie Irving's there for Kyrie and he's just happy to be home and he just wants to give the home fans a show and his family and friends a show, then I just don't know how much that's going to relate to team success. Right. But if he's a dude that's saying, you know, listen, I think we got a very good team here. I think we could make a decent playoff run. Let me see what the young guys have, and we're just going to think one year ahead here. We're going to play this game by game. We're going to play this year out, and then once next season comes along, then we know what the young guys already have. Now we're just plugging in KD, and that should be a smoother transition than, let's say, if I were to go to a place where it wouldn't be as smooth of a transition. Right. But that's going, to be, that's going to be up to Kyrie at that point. Right, exactly. Speaking of transitions, let's go ahead and transition our way over to the other conference. The better conference of the two, or at least it's more deeper in the Western Conference. In your opinion, who are those 
teams that are going to be the toughest challenges this year for the Los Angeles Lakers? I mean, pick your poison. I think everybody's going to be a tough challenge. Um, I think I think the Jazz are going to be probably one of their tougher challenges. I think that the Jazz just have – they got a lot of players now. And I think that they've done a good job of – Signing guys to where Donovan Mitchell doesn't have to do a whole bunch. You were asking Donovan Mitchell to do a whole lot last season. Yep. There were a lot of times where you was playing the point guard position. You fill that role with Mike Conley. You also now get Jeff Green. He can get you a couple of baskets. I think Utah is going to be a tough team. Houston, I guess, is always going to be tough, but I'm kind of meh yeah, me too. on Houston right now. <laughs> I mean, they're plug-and-play. That's a plug-and-play team where they just grab guys and say, hey, stand in the corner. But I just think I'm really going to look at how hard and Westbrook kind of gel with each other. I mean, both of these guys have been averaging near triple-doubles yep. every season. I don't think that Harden nor Westbrook is going to want to give that up for quote unquote the good of the team. Exactly. I mean, both of them are about what 27, 28, 29 years old. Exactly. Yeah, upper twenties. And if they're like, "Hey, I can do this for another three, four more years," why would I give that up for this guy? Yep. So I just don't know about that yet. The problem is right now, if we're saying that the Lakers are making the playoffs. They finished 10th last season. Which team is are we knocking out? I think easy. Here was, here was the Western Conference last year. Golden State, Denver, Portland, Houston, Utah, OKC, San Antonio, and the Clippers. What team are we knocking out? I think the two easiest decisions are Oklahoma City and San Antonio. San Antonio, though, is never – you can never lock them and count them out of it just because of Popovich and, and the system he has there. But with the obvious trades and, and, you know, I think OKC eventually would like to trade Chris Paul and just really start to go full in on the tanking, also trade Steven Adams and their other assets and get more picks. I think that's going to be the easiest decision to come out. But you're right, that only leaves one spot open, essentially, for, right. you know, Kind of, the Spurs will be in the mix, let's just say that. And I think there's teams right. like the Lakers, I think even like the Kings and other teams that are going to take step forwards, even the Pelicans, right? Because they have a new young right. squad. They're going to want to be gunning for that eight seed or the seven seed in the Western Conference. It's going to be a dogfight. This is where, you know, if there was any year to make a case for just taking the top 16 teams to make the playoffs instead of eight from each conference, this would be the case because I think we're going to see at least 11 really good teams in this Western Conference, and three of them are unfortunately going to miss the playoffs. Right, and I'm not counting out Dallas either for some reason. If Kristaps Porzingis is able to have a good year, I mean, who says Dallas is in the mix? I know they finished 14th last season, mm -hmm. but who says they're not in the mix? Who, who says that Sacramento's not in the mix? I think they have a great young team, and they finally have a culture now. Yes, and um, so I definitely like that out of Sacramento. Here's my biggest question. Is Minnesota going to take any sort of jump? Mm. Like, or is it time for us to look, 
like somewhere else, like for Andrew Wiggins, because Wiggins really hasn't done anything since he's entered the league. Mm-hmm. Carl Anthony Towns, I mean, yeah, he does his thing, but now you just have to wonder, is he a good stats, bad team guy? So when you, you know, talk about, you know, the Thunder are going to be out of it and the Spurs are going to be out of it, we're adding the Lakers into that. We're also looking at Dallas, but it just seems that one of the unfair things or just one of the, damn, they really haven't made too much of a jump is the Minnesota Timberwolves. Right. No, and I think they're that team that kind of floats around 500 every year. And you like the talent. I mean, just to kind of compare it to the team right down the street from where I live, the Los Angeles Angels, right? They have Mike Trout. They have Otani. They have some of these big-name players. And you would think they're a more capable team, but they have a lot of holes in other parts of their roster. I think the same thing with the Timberwolves. They have a lot of holes in certain parts. And like you said, maybe Towns is just a, a good stats guy on a bad team. We saw it last year. It didn't work out with Jimmy Butler, uh, or technically a season and a half ago. It didn't work out with Jimmy Butler, a player who's you know been on championship contending teams. And Wiggins, I'm not sure about him either. Ultimately, I think the Timberwolves are going to be left out of the playoffs this year again. And I think that's going to bring the issue to where, hey, are we going to continue to float around this 500 level? Or should we start selling you know, guys like Wiggins or guys like Carl Anthony Towns? Maybe not Towns, but selling the guys around Towns and try and either you know, rebuild and reload. Or are we going to try and trade and maybe contend and get some you know, veterans on our team? I don't know what right. direction this team is going to head in, but it's all going to depend on this year. Definitely is, but I think this West Western Conference is it's going to be really, really weird because now you're looking at the Warriors. It seems like they're going to take a step back mm-hmm. where they're not going to be a top four team in the West. I still see them maybe like as a five or a six. The Lakers are now in the mix to be a top four team. Mm-hmm. Clippers definitely in the mix to be a top four team. I think probably the team that will have the number one seed, at least until the All-Star break, is going to be the Denver Nuggets. Yep. And I'm still kind of – I don't want to count them out, but Portland, to me, just didn't seem like they got better in the offseason. You don't think so? I like the the addition of Hazan Whiteside. I think locking up – Rodney Hood for a little bit longer too in his contract. That's going to be huge. Pau Gasol's on, you know, we talk about players past their prime. Pau Gasol's not going to get any better, but I think that's going to be great for guys like Zach Collins and Yusuf Nurkic. And that's an, an, a huge thing. Last season, Nurkic was out in that playoff run. He was out towards the latter half of the season, and they were still able to do so much with him. I think right. if they can keep those guys healthy, Whiteside, Nurkic, Pau Gasol, Collins, I think you have a really good front court there. And then, obviously, Lillard and McCollum, one of the best backcourts in the league. I think, obviously, the three is where it's hurt them every year, year in, year out. This year, they're going to be rolling with Rodney Hood and, and guys like Kent Bazemore to kind of get those minutes in. But I'm just not I, – I think they're another team that's – I think the Western Conference has seven teams that are all potential top four teams. We we did we mentioned the Nuggets. You mentioned the Clippers, the Lakers. Uh, the Warriors are going to probably fall out, but I think the Rockets, the Trailblazers, and the Jazz all have potential to be a, a top four team in the Western Conference. So it's really going to, you know, it's really going to come down to who could stay healthy and who's 
I guess whose bench can come up bigger too in those games where, because I think we're going to see load management all across the league. So whose third or fourth fiddle guys can really step up and win them some games? I think that's the thing that concerns me with Portland. I mean, yeah, I like Hood, and I think Kent Bazemore, that was a nice signing by Portland. But when you look at the West, there are so many wing guys in the Western Conference to where I'm saying Kent Bazemore and Rodney Hood have to guard them. And I just don't trust it right now. Like, I... I think the best small forward that they've had in the last three, four years was Al Farouk Amino, and they lost him. Mm-hmm. I just hope Portland, I mean, what, Chris Webber had him like as an eight seed or something like that. I don't think they're going to be an eight seed, but I don't see them finishing as a top three team in the West just because they really didn't get better like the Lakers got better, the Clippers got better, the Rockets got better. Mm-hmm. Um, Denver even got better with like signings like uh, you know Jimmy Grant. Yeah. Um, like Portland didn't sign anyone to where I say you know well damn like you know they're gonna be a pretty nice team. Like I think they've done things to where they'll say we'll stay level, we'll stay like you know a top. Five sixteen in the West, but are they a team to where I'm saying they'll make the Western Conference Finals again this season? No. Okay. It's going to be a dogfight in the Western Conference. I'm interested to see how things play out just because, like I said, man, I, I think there's so much talent here. There's going to be 11, 12 teams potentially fighting for a spot. We didn't even talk about the Suns, but they could be a lot better. Uh, and, and like we we didn't get a whole lot into the Pelicans as well, but with guys like J.J. Redick that they added, and, of course, their young star. And, and uh, um, <laughs> I'm drawing a blink on his name, but Zion Williamson, I, I think they could be a whole lot better as well. So it'll be interesting to I see. Think they can. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see where this Western Conference and how it shakes out because only eight teams can make it from that very talented conference. Speaking of Zion, this was a, I think this was a nice rookie class. Obviously, it's hard to judge before they even play any games. But... Outside of Zion, who are some other rookies that you are really excited to watch play in the league this year? I mean, of course, John Morant, just because I think he's in a great position to where he's going to be able to make a lot of mistakes, but he's going to be able to learn from those mistakes. And it's just going to make him a better player year two, year three, year four. And if Memphis is able to put a roster around him with him and Jaron Jackson and guys like that, I think that this could be a decent team. Like, I'm not saying they're going to make the playoffs, but I think they could be a decent team, you know, in a, in a couple years. I like your guy, Carson Edwards. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's going to be definitely a good player. I like Kobe White. I think Kobe White is the point guard that they wish Chris Dunn was when they traded for him. Oh, yeah. And I think Kobe, just, he's a lot better than Chris Dunn is. But I'm really feeling like they thought, man, like we thought Chris Dunn was going to be what we're getting in this rookie. The only guy to where I'll say, well, before I name him, another guy that I am 
excited to watch that I feel nobody's really going to be on his radar unless they watch him at USC. But Kevin Porter Jr. Oh, yes. I think Kevin Porter Jr. is going to be real nice. Now, he's playing in Cleveland, and I think he has an unfair shake just due to the fact that, I mean, damn, how many guards do Cleveland have? You got Garland, you got Sexton, you got Jordan Clarkson. It's just kind of where does he fit? And I think Porter's about like 6'4". So he can play, you know, the two. Sometimes you may ask him to play the one, but I don't think you're going to ask him to play the one that often mm-hmm. because you got about three point guards on your team. Right. But I'm excited to watch him. The only guy I'm scared of right now, and not scared of that he's not going to have like a good year, but I feel like he's going to get lost in the shuffle just a little bit because the team he's playing with is just so horrible. But R.J. Barry. Oh, yeah. I'm excited to watch him, but look at the team he has around him. Terrible. Uh, terrible, number one. And then number two, you got a guy in Dennis Smith Jr. I mean, it's kind of like pulling teeth to ask him to pass the ball. Of course. You're also having like Julius Randle, Bobby Portis, uh, what, Marcus Morris, Todd Gibson, you got like, um, Kevin Knox. Like 10 power forwards on their team. Uh, Frankie Smokes, as Ben Bill Simmons likes to call him. What the hell did you do, New York? <laughs> yeah. I, I hope this dude, I really feel he can be really good. But I just feel with all the guys that the Knicks have and they don't fit in any kind of way, I just hope R.J. Barrett doesn't get lost in the shuffle. Because I think he's going to be a really good player in the league. Uh huh. But damn, you gotta you had to you just had to go to the Knicks, and the Knicks just had to sign every power forward that was a free agent. Yep. Yeah. Who I'm you excited pr- to watch though? I'm gonna be high on Carson Edwards. I think he's my dark horse to win the Rookie of the Year award. Just because what what I saw in the tournament, I can't say I watched the whole season of Purdue basketball. But from what I watched from him in the tournament, man, he's an explosive player, a little undersized, and the defense is probably going to keep him a little bit off the floor for the Celtics. But he'll be that spark plug for just, you know, 15, 16 minutes a game, putting up shots. And I, I think, you know, towards the end of the year, or if maybe some, you know, if there's a couple injuries here and there, I think Brad Stevens won't be afraid to put him in, you know, the fourth quarter rotation. He could get some good buckets because we saw it last year towards the end of games. He really. He really stepped up his game for those Boilermakers. Another guy too, I'm, 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 you know, I'm digging at the bottom of the barrel too for the second round in the second round of this year's draft. Kyle Guy, the point guard out of Virginia. Oh yeah. He's gonna be on the Sacramento Kings. I just like that Virginia team last year. DeAndre Hunter was another guy that got drafted. He got drafted early in the first round, and uh, he's he's going to be on the uh, the, Pel- the excuse me the Atlanta Hawks this year. But I think, you know, that Virginia team was special last year, especially the growth of, you know, losing in that first round to UMBC two years ago, winning it all last year in, in, in the March Madness tournament. I think both those guys are going to come in and contribute. Guy for right. the Kings, Hunter for the Hawks. And then, you know, just some guys, too, that you already listed. Colby White, I think, is going to be nice. Cam Reddish for the Hawks, I, I think he could be yeah. nice as well. And then you mentioned it earlier, Tyler Hero for the Miami Heat. 
This is uh, the, yep. the freshman out of Kentucky. I think he's going to be something special, too, for that Miami Heat squad. Right. I think one player that we're forgetting, maybe, is uh, Roy Hachimura. Oh, yeah. That, uh, from Washington. From Gonzaga. Yeah. He's another good player on a bad team and probably gets, you know, gets forgotten about right. this year because that – you talking about the Knicks going to be a bad team? I think the Wizards, whew. They they probably oh, will finish with the worst or second worst record in the NBA this year. They probably are. I'm not even gonna lie to you, but I think Rory he's gonna kind of be in that John Morant situation to where it's just we're gonna see a lot of good and then we're also gonna see a lot of bad. But through that bad, he'll be able to grow. And what the dude is lengthy. He's about six foot seven. He can shoot a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, he's, and he's aggressive, you know, when driving to the hole and becoming a slasher. So I think he's going to be nice. I mean, he averaged 10 points during the preseason. So Roy is going to be a guy. But I think right now, if not Zion for Rookie of the Year, and if not John Morant, I think I Need a Hero, Tyler Hero, is right in the mix of being the Rookie of the Year. Yeah. And I, you know who I didn't mention that I, I really like too? Because I, I just like the team last year, uh, the Auburn Tigers, right? Out of Auburn, Chuma Okiki. Right. He's the power forward. Oh, yeah. Yeah, remember him? That that uh, yeah. that Auburn team was pretty special last year. He's on the Orlando Magic, and that's a that's a team that has a pretty loaded front court too with Vucevic and Biombo so, and Aaron Gordon too, if I almost forgot about him, but... The, you know, if he can get some minutes and kind of stand out from the rest, I, I like Okiki and what he could do for the Magic this year. I like him too. I also like that dude. Um, who's the center that New Orleans picked up? Uh, Walker, Alexander Walker, or something like that. Oh yeah, Nikhil Alexander Walker from yeah, Nikhil, Virginia I, I, Tech. I like him. I think he's gonna. I think he's gonna be a nice pickup for New Orleans, being a big man. Um, it says here he's a shooting guard though. I just, I, I really think this is he's going to be a good pickup for New Orleans as uh New Orleans as well. Yeah. All right, so moving away from the rookie class, those are the players that we were excited to watch, but who are some other players on new teams at this year, maybe not rookies that you are really excited to watch play? Jimmy Butler finally got his own team now. Yeah. Jimmy Butler in Miami. And it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting to see what he wants to do um, and how he wants to play and how he likes, um, you know, being in his own situation where he runs the team now. Um, Westbrook's going to be interesting just because who's taking a step back? Is it Harden or is it Westbrook? I know Harden said, you know, hey, it's going to figure itself out. But we were saying that a couple years ago when you had Chris Paul, that it was all going to figure itself out. Now you got Westbrook on the team. It's not like Westbrook's going to really take that big of a step back. Mm-hmm. So what are you going to do there? Of course, you know, being a Lakers guy, I'm excited to see what Anthony Davis is going to do. But I'm excited to see what Paul George is going to be for the Los Angeles Clippers. Yeah. And how him and Kawhi kind of act with each other, and how they um, how they coexist. I know Kawhi is not a dude who needs to be the star and needs to take all the shots, but 
if we remember Paul George for a good stretch of last season was an MVP candidate. Oh, yeah, before those injuries? Before the injury, he was an MVP guy. Yep. So is Kawhi going to be a dude that says, you know what, once you come back, can you be that dude? And then during the playoffs, I'll do my thing. It's going to be interesting just to see that dynamic. But right now, the three guys that I'm kind of most interested in seeing right now is Jimmy Butler with Miami, Anthony Davis with the Lakers, and Paul George with the Clippers, and uh, Russell Westbrook in Houston. That's going to be my four interesting guys to watch. Yeah. And speaking on the Clippers, too, I'm really excited to when they go with their all-defensive lineup. They go Beverly, Kawhi, Paul George on the floor, Montrez Harrell, and maybe go a little small ball and play Shamit or play another guard or a wing, a wing player. But, man, I think that's – that's I mean, you have three of the top wing defenders there in the league all trying to, you know, guard whoever they're going to be opposing – whoever the opposing team is, whether it's Westbrook, Harden, Lillard, and McCollum that's going to be a handful for opposing teams once both of those players get healthy and pair them alongside with Patrick Beverly. The tenacity of that defense is going to be insane, too. You know Doc Rivers is a defensive-minded coach, so that's that's going to be interesting, interesting to see going forward. For me, I'm going to stick with the Western Conference, too. The Utah Jazz, you mentioned earlier, picking up Mike Conley was huge, but we didn't even talk about picking up Bogdan Bogdanovich. That, that's going oh, to be man, huge as well. they did that. So, I mean, that's going to be a talented front court with him and Rudy Gobert. Not to mention, like you said, just the ability for Donovan Mitchell to play not so much second fiddle, but not to have to handle the ball and have to do everything for this Jazz team. That's going to be a huge right. relief off of him. And then, of course, maybe this one's not as obvious, but the Warriors, picking up D'Angelo Russell, picking up Willie Cauley-Stein, this is going to be a very different team. Then we saw in the Warriors' past, Clay Thompson's probably going to be out the whole year, just like Kevin Durant is for the Brooklyn, uh, for the Brooklyn Nets. So I think it's going to be interesting to see in limited preseason time. You know, D'Angelo Russell is going to have his ability and his opportunities to create shots for himself. Because I don't think this Warriors team is going to want Curry to force up thirty shots a night. Uh, That's just not their. He's not that stage of his career. I think he's a little older. They're going to want to manage him. they're going to want to load management him, too. And especially, too, well, if at the halfway point of the year and they're not winning, I think this is the team, or, if you know, by the All-Star break or maybe even, say, by New Year's, if the Warriors aren't happy with it, where they're at right now, too, I wouldn't be surprised if they fire sale and kind of rest Curry for the rest of the year and just kind of take this as a wasted season, maybe get a good draft pick and then kind of reload once – they know Clay is going to be healthy next season and kind of look forward to that following year. I see that because I already see during like the, the during the preseason, this team is going to have a tough time on defense. Oh yeah, and I, I'm I'm with you. Curry's not going to want to put up 30, 40 points a game just to keep the team competitive. Not win, just keep the team competitive. Mm-hmm. Um. And for Steve Curry to say that he's had to run two-hour practices with the Warriors just because he has to get the new guys acclimated to the terminology of what he means on certain defensive sets, I mean, who knows how long that's going to take before they finally get it. We may be in February, March. Right. 
And then I don't know if Clay plays this year. I know they said he made it the first 55 games, but I don't think the Warriors want to rush him back. And then if he gets re-injured, then it's a Kevin Durant part two. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the Warriors are kind of in a funky spot. Like, like I said, and I think we both agree on it, they'll still make the playoffs. But if it gets to around February, and let's just say they're tinkering at seven or eight, I I could see them saying, you know what, it's not all that serious. We don't want to play the Clippers in the first round, or we don't want to play the Lakers in the first round. Let's just throw this season away. I don't think Steve Kerr is that kind of guy, but I wouldn't be surprised if they just said, you know, that's what we're going to do. But also to touch on another player that's in a new situation that I think we should be excited for is Kristaps Porzingis in Dallas. Oh, that's right. We didn't even get to talk about the Mavs too much. Yeah, him and I think one of the big things is going to be, though, how Porzingis is going to react because I think they showed a play where Luke Doncic was handling the ball and Kristaps was in the high post around the elbow or somewhere like that, and he's got his hand out expecting, you know, a little bounce pass so that he could go to work in the paint. This isn't New York anymore. So now, you know, I know he played with Carmelo, but the difference between Carmelo and Luca, at least in my opinion, and I'm not in the locker room to really decipher it, but you had a guy in Carmelo Anthony who, even though you were clearly the star player on the Knicks team, Carmelo fought that the offense should still run through him. Right. You're now in Dallas where probably Rick Carlisle, Mark Cuban, and the rest of the team says the offense runs through Luka Doncic. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be interesting to see how Chris Stapps and Luka kind of mesh. I really think they could be like, you know, a Steve Nash, Dirk Nowitzki 2.0. But I think there's going to just be a point in time where there's going to be a couple plays where Chris Stapps is going to be like, I should have got the ball in the post or I should have got the ball at the top of the key. But here I am setting the screen for Luca, so Luca can create. Yeah. So that's going to be an interesting thing for Chris Stapps. But I'm sorry to cut you off. Like, you know, what were you going to say about it? I was just going to say the Mavericks, I, I think there will be one of those teams – that will be competing for a playoff spot, but I think the lack of depth is what is going to hurt them too. Because I do like the additions, True. I do like the additions of Seth Curry. They they traded for Justin Jackson last year uh, for Harrison Barnes to the Kings, but they don't have a lot of other young players that can come in off the bench that are exciting that will give that spark or keep the offense going. So I I think they may be the eleventh or twelfth team in that Western Conference. Maybe still with you know a record or at least 37, 38 wins and a team that gets close to five hundred, but I just don't see them having the depth and just the the six man to kind of put them over the top. Yeah, Tim Hardaway Jr. Um, they got like Maxi Kleiber. Yeah, Dwight Powell, they got Delon the Wright, Bolbon, Marjanovic. Um. Yeah, they really don't got too much depth on that team. I mean, JJ Barea is older. Yeah, you got Steph. But, yeah, I think they'll be a competitive team. But that's just – I think that's going to be one of the forgotten duos in the league because of that factor because they don't have a lot of depth. But I think Luka and Chris Stapps, once they figure it out, 
I think that they're going to be a, a lot to handle in the Western Conference. Speaking of figuring it out, are there any coaches that you're immediately putting on the radar for first ones to get fired this season? Who who do you think is might be getting canned by their team? Brett Brown. Ooh. I think that right now, I think Philly, for at least the last two, three years, have had a team to where it's like, man, you know, they could go to the finals. They could win the championship. And for some reason, Brett Brown just hasn't been able to draw the plays up to where he's been able to put them over the top. I just haven't seen it yet. And they've kept him around, and they've kept him around just because of where he's been able to take the Sixers. But he hasn't done anything to where he put the Sixers over the top. Now, he's my – I'll say he's my 1A. Of course, the number one is going to be Mike D'Antoni. Yeah. But I think Brett Brown, I think he's had kind of like a Mike D'Antoni situation to where it's like you've had one of the top teams and you just haven't been able to get it done by hook or by crook. But you have to do something this year. And if you don't, I mean, we're really going to have to just reassess how we move forward with you. Now, we're not saying you're not a good coach, but maybe for our team, we've tried it for a few years, and it's for some reason just not working. Now, if Philly's fine with going to the Eastern Conference Finals year after year and not being able to get over that hump, keep Brett Brown. Yeah. But if you're a team that wants to go to the Finals, win championships, and you feel like you have the roster to do so, this may be Brett Brown's last chance. I don't know why I feel that, but I just think Brett Brown may be that guy everybody starts looking at as, is he a head coach for a championship team? Yeah, that's the, that's the problem with a team that has such big expectations. I think another coach that's potentially on the radar, too, a team that has big expectations, the Lakers head coach, Frank Vogel. I mean, we've... We've heard that those rumors that, oh, you know, they hired Kidd as the assistant because he's the fallback guy and that'll, you know, that'll allow the Lakers to hi- the fire Vogel if any, you know, if they struggle right. at all or if LeBron's not happy. That That's just because LeBron, wherever he goes, whether it was David Blatt or any of the other number, numerous coaches that he had in Cleveland, he's a guy who, you know, he needs a specific coach and he needs, he likes to be, he has a dominant personality, and sometimes coaches don't gel with that very well. So it'll be interesting to see how Vogel works with LeBron and if he can get on his good side. And another coach, two coaches that I want to look at too, Billy Donovan over in Oklahoma City, yes. just because that team's going to be so bad. They're going to be looking to rebuild and reload. I think you know he'll have a chance to kind of fight for his job because it's not like they don't have talent. They're going to have Steven Adams. They're still going to have Gallinari and Chris Paul. I, I think if, you know... Well, if he can kind of exceed expectations early on in the season, sure, he might be kept around for the long run and maybe be that coach who does go through the rebuild with them. But if not, if they, you know, don't reach their expectations, then he could be getting canned pretty soon during the year. Also, Scott Brooks with the Washington Wizards, another team that's just very bad. And yeah, I, I think, you know, it's, not, it's probably unfair to him, but I think he'd be better off in a better situation, maybe with a team that yeah. actually has some talent, you know. The Wizards are probably going to be 
one of the worst teams, like I said, in the and in, in the NBA next year, maybe picking first. So I think that's just an unfortunate situation for Scott Brooks. This is going to be an interesting year for coaches, especially I just think near the top of the NBA, just because there's just so many expectations. But you've had guys like Terry Stotts uh, sign an extension, Quinn Snyder sign an extension, but. I feel some team, and it may be Philly, it may be Washington, it may be somebody else. I think Tom Thibodeau gets signed at some point. And I just feel maybe Philadelphia pairs themselves up with him just because he's such a hard-nosed, blue-collar type coach to where they're like, that's the kind of coach we need, defensive. And yeah. Yeah. So... Yeah, I think there are some coaches on the hot seat. Like I said earlier, I think it's unfair that Frank Bogle is being put on the hot seat and he hasn't even had a cup of coffee yet. <laughs> I think he's going to do just fine. Um, but, yeah, looking at Dan Tony, looking at Billy Donovan, but Brett Brown, I don't know. I just really feel like this is, this is it. So going on to some of the awards that they have at the end of the year, who are some of your favorites to win the MVP this season? I think if Anthony Davis plays the way he did in that first preseason game against Golden State, I think he's got to be the front runner for MVP. I think he averages maybe about, I'll say like 25 and 11. Um, I think LeBron James is going to have a good year but I just think Anthony Davis is going to be so dominant. I mean, of course, Giannis. You can't throw Giannis out. I mean, Giannis is going to – if Giannis averages – let's just say Giannis averaged 30 and 12, I mean, my Lord. I mean, I would probably look at him as an MVP front runner. You may also have to look at a, a Joel Embiid or a Ben Simmons, just depending on who has the better year. Uh-huh. Um, I think that one of them is going to take a huge step forward. I'm hoping that it's Ben Simmons that takes a huge step forward. But you're also going to have to look at one of them as well. I think Jokic. I think the Joker. I think the Joker is going to have like a really solid year to where it's just going to be like, man, this dude has been doing it for the last three, four years. And this is a center doing this. Right. Like, we're really going to have to look at him as one of the top guys. Now, I just don't know how motivated Kawhi is going to be. I don't think he's going to play too many games this season. But if Kawhi was to say, you know what, I'm going to go after the MVP this year, I wouldn't sleep on Kawhi. But right now, I'll say my top guys would be AD, Giannis, the Joker, and then I'll put Ben Simmons as my fourth, and then maybe Kawhi as my fifth right now. That's how I got as my top five. I like that top five. I, I really like Jokic, too. I was actually going to bring that up because I think this year, with LeBron being over the hump, like you said, Kawhi may not, you know, will probably get more load management than he did last year, and he already won, you know, the finals. They're probably just going to try and have him healthy for the finals. I think that presents an opportunity for a guy like Nikolai Jokic in Denver. I think even a guy like Lillard, this could be maybe his year. I think he's playing with one of his best supporting cast, and he has a lot of help down low, especially at the big man position. 
I think he could right. be in the running for it too. I think, you know, obviously a guy like Steph Curry will probably, I don't want to say he's over the hump, but with the supporting cast, I don't think the Warriors are going to be where an uh, MVP team or an MVP uh where an MVP player, when you look at an MVP player, you want their team to be in the top four or five. So I think guys like Jokic and Lillard have a good chance to, of course, along with Antetokounmpo. And of course, I think Embiid will beat out Ben Simmons for the best player on that team. So I think he'll be thrown in the mix as well. And then, of course, you can't cut out Anthony Davis. You can't cut out James Harden. But the league likes a little bit of parity, right? I mean, we typically don't see too many players winning back-to-back years. So I think maybe you cross off Giannis then. Uh, you cross off the guys like Westbrook and guys who have already won it. I think it'll be, you know, let's try to get someone new involved. And depending on the year Jokic has, depending on the year Lillard has, or some of somebody else that may step up, Anthony Davis including, I think we'll see someone yeah. new win the MVP, and those three would be a good place to start. Yeah, I think the MVP race is definitely going to be so good just because of there's so many guys that, not necessarily have a lot to prove, but I feel like this season, there's, don't you get that kind of vibe that like there's going to be so many players that are just going to want to show what they got? Mm-hmm. And I think it's going to be a really fun year just for the fans to be able to sit back and watch the best players in the world do what they do. I think it's going to be a tough, it's going to be a tough race for the MVP, but I think it's going to be a really good one because I think everybody's going to be looking at everyone else's numbers, they're going to be watching everybody else's game and say, okay, they did this this night, I'm going to do this tonight. Yeah. So I'm excited, man. It's going to be real fun. Yeah. Speaking of improvement, the last award I do want to talk about, and we can wrap things up afterwards, most improved player. Right here, I think it go a lot of different directions, but I think my dark horse for this one, and maybe this is the homer in me speaking, Isaiah Thomas. I, I think Isaiah Thomas... He's in a bad team situation with the Washington Wizards, but given that they are a bad team and they don't really have, you know, John Wall is probably going to be out the whole season again. I think that gives, or opens the door at least for the opportunity to maybe Isaiah Thomas to work his way in the rotation. Maybe towards January he gets into the starting spot just because, you know, they're already out of the playoffs and they're just trying to get different looks in. And I think Isaiah Thomas, if he can find a way to average, you know, 16, 15 points again, again, and come up big in the fourth quarter and kind of at least make some noise because we haven't seen so. I think he has a, a very good chance to win Dark Horse or to be a Dark Horse to win the Most Improved Player of the Year award. I think that I think that's a good um, that's a good assessment there. Mine and you probably may hate it, and it's me being a homer, but he doesn't play for my home team anymore. But Triple B's on the man. <laughs> I'm leveled up. I'm super Saiyan. I think Lonzo Ball wins the most improved player of the year. I think he's in a good situation in New Orleans. Yep. I think that him and Zion really mesh really well. I think the only question that I have is what is Brandon Ingram at this point? Is Brandon Ingram that player to where every year we're going to say, this is the year that he goes and averages 23, or this is the year that he averages. 22 and 7 and 8. Yeah. I don't know yet, but I really feel like Lonzo Ball in New Orleans, if Zion's able to play over 60 games this season, and if Lonzo's able to work on his jump shot, make it a little bit more consistent, and able to get other guys involved, and him and Drew Holiday, I really feel is going to work. 
I think the man with the plan with the triple B's yep. is going to be your most improved player. I like that pick, too. Any final thoughts you want to talk about the NBA this year? Is there any team that you think we're sleeping on a little bit too much? We didn't even mention them this year, and I think a lot of people are going to forget about them because Kawhi left to the Clippers. The Toronto Raptors, they're a team that I think a lot of people are going to forget about and think, oh, they're immediately going to go down to the 6th or 7th seed in the Eastern Conference. I think they have potential to be that 4th seed and battle it out with Miami. Dwayne Casey, I still really like him as a coach. So another little mistake here, the current head coach of the Toronto Raptors is actually Nick Nurse, not Dwayne Casey. Dwayne Casey did coach the Raptors from 2011 to 2018, so I was just a couple years off, no hard feelings, but let's get back to the show. We know Kyle Lowry is maybe not the player you want in the postseason game, but during the regular season, he can put up some good numbers. It's really going to be depending on what they can get out of guys like Marcus Gasol. Can Paul Siakam take that next step for the Raptors and obviously do a little bit more of the scoring and do a little bit more of everything. They still have OG too as well. I still think they have some good young players that can come in and step up and win some games for them. And then in the Western Conference, I think maybe it's just because I'm a homer and I was living there for a couple of years. The Sacramento Kings, you know, I think Luke Walton... Yeah. I think that puts them over the top, hopefully, because they have a good core of young players. And De'Aaron Fox, they have Buddy Heald, who they just re-signed earlier this morning. I like the players that they have around those guys, too. They moved on from guys like Justin Jackson and Willie Cauley-Stein, but they brought in a good veteran, Harrison Barnes, who really worked for them. They also brought in Trevor Ariza, who I think could be a very similar player. So I like the direction they're heading in. I like the options they have. It's just a very tough Western Conference. As if this was an Eastern, if they were in the Eastern Conference, I think easily they would be a, a six seed, no doubt. But because they're in the Western Conference, maybe they find themselves on the nine, the ten seed, just missing the Western Conference playoffs. But I think we're really sleeping on them. I think they could be really competitive and maybe, maybe just sneak into a playoffs, depending off some injuries uh, on on some other teams go their direction. Okay, last question for you. Is this NBA season going to be the best NBA season in the last five to seven years? Just talking about how many good teams there are just in the NBA. I know the West is much stronger than the East, but there's a couple good teams in the East. But just an exciting brand of basketball every night. Could we say that this has probably been the most exciting brand of basketball we're going to see since, let's just say, 2012? I, I 100% agree because, at least for me and a lot of other casual NBA fans, the last four or five years, it's kind of been run by the Warriors, right? It's like, oh, the Warriors are going to win the championship again. Even before they had Kevin Durant, it was them running the league. I still think they have a, a really good chance to be good in the Western Conference, and I think if Clay does decide to play in the playoffs and he, you know, he recovers – Fully, I think they have every bit of chance to make the NBA Finals. I'm not counting them 100% out. But I think that injury at least opens the door for some of these other teams. I think, you know, Lakers have a really good shot if everyone stays healthy. The Clippers, 
who have Kawhi Leonard and Paul George now have a really good opportunity. The Eastern Conference, I think, is, you know, it was wide open last year because LeBron left the Eastern Conference. It's wide open again this year because now Kawhi leaves the Eastern Conference. So you have the Bucks, Celtics, and Sixers all gunning for that top seed. I think it comes down to there's probably a good five or six teams that realistically could win the NBA championship. And, you know, there's probably two teams outside of those six teams that we're probably sleeping on or not giving enough credit like the Denver Nuggets and maybe even the Trailblazers. All there are is maybe an injury away on another team from potentially even playing in the NBA Finals. We saw the Trailblazers make the Western Conference Finals last year. So I I think there's a little bit more parity in the league this year. We're going to see a lot of more competitive teams and it won't be so dominated by the Warriors or whoever the team's LeBron on. There's a lot more equal around the league. Man, let me tell you, I am excited. Enough of this talk. Let's get to the NBA season. Tomorrow we are back. Noah, man, oh man, oh man, I'm ready. I'm excited too. I'm I'm really excited for this year. Thanks again, buddy, for hopping on the show. Oh man, anytime, Noah. Thanks for having me. Anything you want to plug real quick? Uh, Man, just keep looking out for me on the ball out. You know, I, I continue to write for him. I'm going to be doing a couple of uh, basketball commentary games that I'll make sure to to post so everybody can listen to them. And also, you know, make sure to tune in on 1010XL 92.5 FM Monday through Friday. It's me and Rick Blue into the night with Rick Blue. Uh, Your boy's producing that show. We're talking all things Jags. You know, the Jags are now 3-4 in the swing of things in the division. So, you know, Jacksonville kind of the kind of hype right now, and we discuss, uh, well, at least Rick Ballou discusses everything going on with the Jags. So, you know, just make sure to keep on the lookout for your boy. I may not be everywhere on social media like Noah is, <laughs> but we, we're, making, we're making moves silently, you know? Yeah, RJ doing big things in Jacksonville. Much love, brother. Much love to you, man. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the My Mike and I podcast. I'm Noah Alvarez. You can listen to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play, and be sure to leave a rating and review. Follow us, subscribe to us, share us with your friends. Just spread the word of the My Mike and I podcast. We'd greatly appreciate. I greatly appreciate all the listeners. Again, shout out to Generic Sports for producing the instrumental going on in the background. Shout out to Vince Correa. Be sure to check out some of the older podcasts, too, that we had on the show. I had a DJ talk about his journey and the success to where he's at now. We have a, a, my boy Charles. He's a football coach. We talk about you know instilling work ethic and discipline through youth sports. Last week, we had three people on to talk about Big Mouth Season 3 on Netflix. I've had a few rappers on the show. I had King Malcolm on most recently on episode 74. He's also going to start a podcast, so be sure to stay tuned with that. So yeah, a lot of good podcasts in the most recent in the most recent library for the My Mike and I podcast. Be sure to check those all out. If you're interested in being on the show, have an interesting topic to talk about, be sure to hit me up on any of those social media platforms at underscore Noah Alvarez on Twitter at Noah underscore Alvarez on Instagram and the My Mike and I page on Instagram, my period, Mike and period I. Again, I'm Noah Alvarez for the My Mike and I podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Signing off. Till next time.